0: dealing with the very first thing as a matter of fact what i'm going to teach is not on this card i'm going to talk about our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name i'm going to talk about that one verse because that sets the stage for the rest of the entire prayer and i think what i'm going to share tonight is foundational to all the rest and will help us to really get a grip on um, how we're to pray now let me say before we put the, the, the Lord's Prayer up there because we're going to pray the whole thing just every one of these nights that we're teaching this, we're going to pray it together and we're going to practice what we're learning. How many of you can say tonight, I know the Lord wants me praying more than I do? Yep, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle. And how many of you have a deep-seated desire to do just that? You want to pray more and you want to pray more effectively. Amen, me too. Now, here is my reason for this series. We were having Tuesday night prayer for the longest time. We did it for probably three years. But it just got to the place where I felt like we were not doing it at a time when we could have maximum participation. And what we're going to do is we're going to teach this. Everybody's going to have one of these. And then we're going to begin praying for an hour before our services. And I'm asking you to be in prayer. I'm asking you to pray and ask God to speak to you through the Holy Spirit. If he would have you to come. Now, I don't think you have to do it every week. As a matter of fact, I think if you try to do it all at once, you'll faint. If you do it once a month, if you turn out for that hour and say, I'm going to come once a month to that prayer time and I'm going to pray before the service we will see god move in these services in some marvelous ways i'm telling you uh, the great english preacher spurgeon had what he called his prayer oven and it was down in the church basement where he preached to 5,000 people every sunday without audio help that's the way they built their buildings back then the metropolitan tabernacle that Spurgeon preached in was made for a cappella choir, a cappella voices. There were no sound systems. But he said there was a few hundred people down in that basement praying before every service, and they never had a service that souls were not saved. His sermons in printed form went around the world, and people were saved everywhere they went. We cannot have church without prayer. We cannot be blessed without prayer. We will not see the anointing of God without prayer. So we're going to have to find out what works best for our church. And I believe pre-service prayer is what's going to work best because we're already here. We're already coming. We're already going to be here. It's a matter of coming a little bit early. I'm going to be asking for those of you who are called to intercession and you know it have a grace to pray and you know it I'm going to ask some of you to be prayer captains and I want you to be the leaders I can't do it all if I try to do everything I'm not going to last a year I need anointed people in every arena of this church and so I'm going to be asking you to do that I'm going to be asking you to volunteer to ask God if you're to be a prayer captain a prayer leader and we're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to commission you to get in there and just leave the, the, whatever group shows up. I'm going to ask every care group to participate. I think every care group ought to pick, pick a month where that's our month. That's the month we're going to be there. That's the month we're going to pray. I really do. I think the care groups ought to be represented. Because, folks, if we don't pray, we will not stay in a move of God. It's just that simple. What do you want? Religious services or services where the mighty power of God moves? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask for church wide participation. I want everybody to make a commitment, not going on feeling, but a commitment. Once a month, I'm going to be there praying over that service, praying over that church praying over our city, state, and nation, and world. And I believe, folks, if we will plug in to a prayer ministry in this church, there is no end to what God is going to do. I mean, I know that's true. And so that's why we're doing this. I'm I'm wanting to get this in our spirit. And then from there, we're going to begin to pray in this church like we've never prayed before. And we're going to see God move. If you witness to that, say amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. Amen. So let's go ahead and let's get the uh, Lord's Prayer up there. And thank you, Ron. That's good. God bless you. I appreciate Ron's playing, don't you? Amen. One of these days, I'm going to start taking him to IHOP every morning and get some weight on that boy. Amen. Amen. I'm serious. People used to say that about me. They don't say it no more. All right, let's stand up. And did everybody get one of these cards? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. Kathy didn't get one. Okay. All right, God bless you. And let's uh, let's pray this Lord's Prayer. We're going to do it every time, and then we're going to look at this very first part tonight. Are you ready? Jesus said in this manner, Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, amen father teach us to pray we ask you to put a new anointing of prayer on our lives we come to you lord confessing a level of prayerlessness and being too busy and allowing the troubles of this world to crowd us and we just ask you to lay upon us to place upon us in your mercy and grace a brand new prayer anointing a brand new burden to pray ability to pray grace to pray. And we thank you, Lord, for teaching us in a way that we will never forget it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them your prayer life's about to increase. Amen. Now on your prayer card, uh, notice that it says, picture Calvary, and then thank God you can call him Father picture Calvary, Jesus hanging on the cross, and thank Him that we can now call God Father by virtue of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Can we just do that a minute? Lord, we just look at the cross and we know because of that blood and that old rugged cross, there we were reconciled to God. The warfare between us and God and the separation and the distance Was ended. And now we have been adopted and born again, and we say, Abba, Father. And we thank you that we can call you Father in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's move on tonight and let's begin with the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I want to just really hang with this one verse the rest of the evening. Because it matters so much who in your mind you are praying to, how you view the person you're praying to, what you think about them, what you think they think about you. Remember when Jesus taught the parable of the talents? We know that the one with ten sowed the ten and got ten more, the one with five sowed the five and got five more, but the one that only had one buried it. Why did he bury it? Because of the view he had of God. And his negative concept of God paralyzed his usefulness. I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. You're a tough old goat, paraphrased. And I was afraid of you, he said, so I buried my talent. He had a wrong view of the one who gave him the gift. And that wrong view of the person of God paralyzed him. Do You know, there's people all over churches all over the world who are paralyzed in their walk with God because of the way they view God. Their relationship with God is one of fear, terror, paralysis. They picture God as this mean being who's always waiting for them to make the slightest mistake so he can squash them like a bug. Jesus radically changed our view of god jesus starts out with a revolutionary thought for his hearers and what is that thought god is your father i almost called this who's your daddy (laughs) and that's a great question who's your daddy that'd be a great evangelistic message who's your daddy God doesn't get much respect in our day. Have you noticed that? This is a tough time for the concept of God like Jesus taught it. It's a tough time for that concept. Kenneth Woodward, writing in Newsweek magazine this summer, noted that God the Father is being ignored. God as Father. Evangelicals focus on the Son. Pentecostals on the Spirit. Catholics focus on Mary, and liberals erase maleness everywhere. A new Bible has come out that I would not, I would rather you mess with the bubonic plague rather than buying this Bible, because it neuters God, destroys the original language, and really makes God a he-she I heard of a prayer that was prayed, and I'll go ahead and say the school at Bright Seminary in TCU, some gathering. And the person who was asked to pray stood up and addressed God as she. Well, if you're going to be honest with the original language, that's a complete skewing of the truth. Jesus called God Him, He, your Father, not Father, Mother, your father. But we're in a day today where the Bible is being viciously attacked from 30 different directions. And that's why you better get into a church. And it's a good thing you're in this one. And I'll go ahead and say that with boldness because we're not going to throw the Bible out. Not going to do it. I don't, uh, I'm not playing for men and I don't care about the praise of men. Could care less but I care a whole lot about what God thinks. Few theologians these days, this is a quote from an article I read, few theologians these days seem to want a God who takes charge, assumes responsibility, fights for his children, makes demands, risks, rebuffs, punishes as well as forgives. In a word, a father. There's a real reaction to that. We don't want a God that messes with our stuff. We don't want a God that calls us sin, sin. We don't want a God that'll chastise us, take us back to the spiritual woodshed if we mess up. We don't want a God of rules and principles and of a narrow road that leads to life. But that's the God of the Bible. Before we pray, Jesus teaches us how to view God, our Father, who are in heaven hallowed be your name now note the structure of the lord's prayer and we'll see this as the weeks go by but there's three petitions to god and there's three petitions towards human beings now tonight he's to be our first priority jesus opened it up our father turning up looking up is how you begin prayer you don't begin it this way you begin it this way and he is to be the first priority hence prayer begins with our father it begins with him Jesus knew that it matters what kind of God we pray to. What is your image of God? Stop and think a minute. And those of you listening by radio, I want to ask you, what is your image of God? As you drive down the highway or as you sit in this sanctuary tonight, is it of a grandpa? How about this? Is it a Santa Claus in, in the sky who gives you everything you ask for? Is it a divine principle? You just think of God as some divine principle or an impersonal force? Or how about an angry, distant being? Is that how you view God? A lot of people do. An angry, distant being. Lots of people in America say they believe in God, but their view of God is of a God who created the universe, wound it up like a great big clock, and then stepped out of the picture and no longer concerns himself or intervenes in the affairs of men. He just doesn't answer prayer. He's not in our business. That's not the the God of the Bible. Jesus taught that God is personal. He is personal. And He's keenly aware of our personal needs. He knows what you need tonight better than you do. He knows every dime you lack. He knows everything you need. Jesus said it. He said, Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. When you go to God with a need and you say, Lord, if you don't give me $326.36 by tomorrow at this time, I'm in big trouble. He doesn't say, Oh, really? I tell you, there's two things God never says oops. And He never says, Well, I'll be. Not ever. Because God, being God, knows everything, knows the end from the beginning. There's not anything we tell him that is informative. It is simply his requirement on us to pray about it. He is loving. The Bible says God is pure love. And he is powerful, good, and great. He's a good God, a great God, a loving God, a providing God. And he's a prayer-answering God. And he's our Father. He's our Father. So remember now, when you begin, you, you, it, it matters the attitude you approach him in. If you approach him, oh, I'm scared to death of God, you're not going to have much answer to prayer. You're not going to have much grace in prayer. If you approach him, well, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't know about me, He doesn't care about me. He's off blessing the Billy Grahams of this world. No, no, no. You've got to approach him. He's my father, and he's very aware of what I'm about to talk to him about. And he wants to answer it more than I want it answered. When reading the Gospels, we discover that it's very important to Jesus that we see God as Father. Jesus provided us with a unique emphasis on an approachable God. He's approachable. He did this because the Jews saw God as distant and frightening. When Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people, the chosen people, were terrified of God. I mean, He had been the God who dwelt in, quote, the mountain that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It was like, no, no, I'm terrified of him. Even Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. And that's in Hebrews 12, 18. Jesus totally changed this view when he said, Now I want you to call him Father. It was like, Say what? Did y'all hear that on the radio tonight? I I heard that. Y'all sounded great. It sounded like a huge crowd, too. Say what? Kathy said, hey, I never heard that before. That sounds great. Boy, we've been getting orders on that series, too, on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, notice this. When Jesus came along and said, now he's not any longer the God with the furrowed brow, the angry countenance, the displeased look. He's no longer the God that you need to be terrified of. Jesus put on God warm, loving eyes. A kind voice, an outstretched hand, a smile, gentleness, approachableness. And he said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if I want to know what God's like, I just open up the Bible and read about Jesus. What did he do? He went about everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. What did He do? He cast out devils. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He provided where there was nothing. He walked on water. He rebuked the Pharisees. Hallelujah. He was good. Good. He said, if you've seen me, that's what your father is like. That's what your daddy's like. Now God was their father. But is he the father of all humanity? Now, I want to be clear about something tonight. And here's where political correctness and me really lock horns. Because I'm about the least politically correct person you're going to find. Matter of fact, I'm very politically incorrect. I hate PC. Because it's a philosophy that robs us of truth and calling right, right, and wrong, wrong. Now, I want you to notice. The great theme of -of turn-of-the-century liberalism is this. That everybody is a child of God. That everybody is God's child or all God's child. If you want to hug a tree, if you want to go by way of Buddha, if you want to go by way of Muhammad, if you want to go by way of Confucius, if you want to find the God that's within all of you, doesn't matter how you get there, as long as you're well-intentioned, there's going to be a lot of well-intentioned people lost in eternity. According to Scripture... Good intentions don't get you there. God doesn't give a hoot about good intentions. God cares about one thing. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the cross? What did you do with the blood? What did you do with the testimony of my son? Scripture teaches that only those who have been born from above by placing faith in Jesus Christ are truly the children of God. That's what Scripture says. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the scriptures and then go to God about it. That's what it says. Look what it, I'm going to quote the Bible here. Here is uh, Romans eight fifteen Quote, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you, adopted you as his own. What, everybody? Children. Preach it to me. Shout it. Children. Now, what happened? How did we get adopted as a child? Is everybody adopted? No. Those who turn to Jesus Christ and say, I've sinned. I confess that you are the Savior of the world. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Paul said, the Bible says, when you say that, you are saved. You are then adopted. And when you are adopted, God places His Spirit within you. And what happens when God's Spirit comes to dwell within you when you've turned to Christ? He says at the end of the verse, now... We, as opposed to before or then, now we call him, say it with me, Abba, Father. And now here's another verse. Quote, and because we are his what, everybody? Children. Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Wow. Who did he send the Spirit Into his children. Who are his children? Those who repented and came to him. Those who came by way of the cross. Those who came by way of the blood. Those who accepted his atonement. And what does it say? Prompting us to call out, say it with me, Abba, Father. There's Galatians 4 6. So when the Spirit of God comes to live within you, something happens. And I remember that day. I remember it as clear as if it were yesterday when I called out on him sitting in a juvenile home, arrested on sale of narcotics as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent, and I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And when he gave the invitation, I was the only one that got up, and I thought he looked like Clark Kent, (laughs) but I went into another room with him, and we sat down. And he said, Jeff, do you want to pray and receive Christ? I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never prayed in all my life, but I did. And when I did, I remember when I opened up my eyes in that dingy green-walled room that was a jail room, everything looked sparkly and glistening and happier, and a load was lifted off of my back. And I knew I was a child of God. Now, when I think about that, that was 39 years ago. And it's only gotten worse. Okay? And, and I'm going to preach him. If he lets me stay on the planet and he doesn't come back, I'm going to be preaching until he takes me home. When I'm 80, when I'm 90. I'm going to preach. it's not a job, it's a joy. Now, We got to go back to the word, y'all. Here he says, you're a child of God by repentance and turning to Christ. Whosoever believes on him will never perish, but have everlasting life. I want to be clear about this in case any of you in here or any of you listening by radio think that you're saved because you mean well. You're not. You've got to turn to him. Now, In another verse, he says, you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Well, doesn't that verse presuppose that not everybody has the Spirit of God living in them? Because it says, if. So not everybody's God's child if you have the Spirit of God living in you. If everybody was God's child, he wouldn't have to say, if. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ, so can you say with me, there must be some who don't. living in them. Read the last part with me. Do not belong to him at all. Well, that couldn't be more clear. So the first things first, if you're wanting to know the Lord's prayer, you got to be sure you can look up and genuinely say, my father, my father. Now notice that Jesus said, our father and not my Father. Now, I'm not contradicting myself. Hang with me a minute. Jesus said, our Father, instead of saying, now, when you pray, say, my Father, who are in heaven. But no, He said, our Father. You know what this points to? Jesus' view that His church would be praying together. Do you ever stop and think about that? Not just alone. There's nothing wrong with praying alone. And I pray alone mo- more times than with people. But he expected you and me to be crying out together, in the plural, as a group, our Father. He expected the church to be praying together. You know, you can say, well, you know what, I just don't go to local church anymore. I, you know, I got burned, and I'm hurt, and all those hypocrites are in there, and I'm not going to go join myself to them. Why not? You're a hypocrite in some ways, too. Come join us hypocrites. We need, we need fellowship. Come help us poor hypocrites out. We need your expertise. Come on back. Those who say, I don't need the local church anymore have have erred. They've erred according to the Word of God. Here's why. We're not talking about denomination, a name on a sign or a building or anything else. We're talking about needing one another. We're talking about the need to one another, one another. We're talking about the need uh, I've got for you and that you've got for me. And I promise you, as the days go by, It's going to be stronger and stronger with the body of Christ. God's told me the function of the local church in America is going to change. It's not going to be, well, you want to go to church? Well, I don't know. Let's go to the lake. We'll go next week. It's not going to be that anymore. We're going to be meeting together to survive with one another. So you might as well decide that you're going to be a forgiver, And that you're going to love people, faults and all, warts and all, and and learn to stick together because we're going to have to in the days that come. I'm telling you. And you're going to remember I said that. We should pray alone, but not only alone. We're part of a believing community. And instead, our isolated Christians tend to be ineffective. You can get out there on your own. Well, I go to church at home. We watch a little bit of Christian TV. God help you if that's where you get fed. It's not, now, there's some good on there, but, boy, you've got to search for it. I'm salty tonight, aren't I? I'm pretty salty tonight. I flip through most of what's called Christian television. I've got to tell you, I do. There's a few that I watch, but that's about it. You can take that or leave it, chew the meat, and spit out the bones. We need each other in person, okay? Isolated Christians are not effective. Matter of fact, I've never seen a Christian isolate him or herself that did not begin to backslide, never, ever. If you say, oh, I'm I'm spiritual enough to step out, I'm above the local church, I'm beyond the local church, they're not spiritual enough for me. If you isolate yourself, I will watch you backslide. You'll become cool, you'll begin to compromise, You'll get out there, and you're going to wake up one day and be far from where you once were. We need to sharpen one another. It says of the disciples, I like this, everybody say, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was what, everybody? Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. There's three they's in there. And when they were praying together, saying, our Father, Lord Jesus, help us. We need your provision. It was all in the plural. That's when God moved and that whole place was physically shaken like an earthquake where they were meeting. And they were filled with boldness and went and shook that whole city with the gospel when they were together. And they prayed together. That's why I want a bunch of they's back there before the services, praying. Now, Jesus said, our Father, and where did he put God? Locationally, in heaven. Our Father, who art in, say it with me, everyone, heaven. So there is a heaven, and if there's a heaven, there is a hell, and hell is hot, and heaven is beautiful. What is the heaven Jesus was speaking about? Well, you know what? It's more than up there. It's not just some nebulous place up there. Heaven is where God's will is perfectly accomplished. There is never for a moment a flicker of disobedience in heaven. No angel ever says no. No cherubim ever walks away from a command of God. No seraphim ever experiences the shadow of of disobedience. Never. His will is done there. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is done perfectly in heaven. Heaven's going to be such an incredible place, so beautiful. Now, let's update our image of heaven just a little bit. It's more than clouds and harps. As a matter of fact, I can't find the clouds. I see the harps. I know there's worship up there, but I haven't found the clouds. It's not some cherubic-looking creature with wings and a harp floating on a cumulus cloud drifting along in the sky. You ought to read the book of Revelation sometime to get a glimpse into heaven. It is permeated with the glory of God. Not one atom of filth or sin can dwell in heaven. That's why you've got to be born again. Because flesh can't enter the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood can't enter. You've got to be born fitted, fitted for heaven if you're going to go there. And the only way to get fitted for heaven is to be born again. You must be born again. You've got to be born again. Born once, going to hell, born twice, going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're living in the flesh. Born twice, you're living in the spirit. Born once, the devil's your master. Born twice, God is your master. You've got to be born twice. And when you're born twice, you have put on, you know, we talk about space suits to go into space, scuba gear to go into the ocean. You've got on heaven gear when you've been born again. Then you can go there and be received there. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 said that heaven was inexpressible. Paul, the genius, said, I can't describe it. What I saw and heard were unutterable, inexplicable things that I can't repeat on earth heaven and it's the moment your heart stops as a child of god you are instantly there to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the lord instantly there's no soul sleep there's no purgatory you're there Our low view of heaven hurts our witness. I believe that. Albert Einstein was one of the greatest scientists of this century. Indeed, no question about it of all time. He did not think much of churches or religion. He was Jewish, of course, uh, and by that I mean he did not turn towards Christianity as many Jews do not. He had that veil. But he encountered the reality of God in his study of the universe. And he was not a non-church guy, because he was a natural skeptic, but because religion's view of God seemed so shallow to him. Charles Misner, a scientific specialist in general relativity theory, expressed Einstein's thoughts this way, the design of the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion." although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. My guess is that he simply felt the religions he'd run across did not have a proper respect for the author of the universe. Author and missionary John Piper, great book writer, says, For those who are stunned by the indescribable magnitude of what God has made, not to mention the infinite greatness of the one who made it, the steady diet on Sunday morning of practical how-tos and psychological soothing and relational therapy seemed dramatically out of touch with the God of overwhelming greatness. And I think that's true. Jesus taught that the God we pray to dwells in a heaven that even the brilliant Apostle Paul could not describe. Our Father who is in heaven sitting there, dwelling there, abiding there, right now, hallowed be Your name. I'm going to stop there. Can we stand together tonight? And Marsha and Jeff, if you can remember, this is where I stopped and we'll pick it up there next week. Okay. You can freeze it, save it, whatever. You know, folks, he's our father. Aren't you glad for that? Next week, we're going to talk about how would be thy name, how would be the name of God. But can we just go to our father right now and let's just worship the father in heaven. He is our father, our daddy. We've been born again by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can cry out, Abba, Daddy, you're my Father. You fathered me by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. You fathered me by adopting me and putting the Spirit of God to live in my heart. You are my Father. And as my Father, you care about everything that pertains to me. You care about it all. Thank you, Lord. I want you to take a minute and I want you just to worship the Father. I want you just to begin to thank Him for being your heavenly Father. He's not a granddaddy, He's not a Santa Claus, He's not a distant being. He's your ever present Father. He cares about you, He knows what you need, He knows where you're hurting. He knows the things that are coming against you. He knows it. He knows the bodily afflictions. He knows the heart afflictions. He knows the mental afflictions. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how tired you feel. He knows. Just worship Him. You're adopted forever. Nobody's going to pluck you out of His hands. It's done, 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 done. He is ever your Father. A trillion years from now, He'll still be your Father.